Please pray with me. Dear Lord, may we always be ever only for thee. And I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. As a teenager, there's so many authority figures in my life. They're my parents and teachers, youth leaders, coaches, and most of all, God. All these different groups of people hold at least some level of power over myself and the other teens they're involved with. Sometimes I can see the benefit of the rules that are set by them, and other times I joyfully obey because I love them. Sometimes it's both of those things together. However, other times I hit that wall of frustration that comes because I can't see the good or I don't want to be controlled by something that I don't understand the point in. It makes me feel bitter and angry inside, and I far too often feel justified in the feelings to disobey. But that isn't what God's saying at all. I believe that teenagers are often thought of with having rebelliousness as an undeniable characteristic, something almost grafted into our DNA by nature and just fades as we get older. However, it cannot be pretended that the reaction is limited to people my age. All humans are stubborn with God and what he wants us to do. History shows us right off the bat what happens because of human disobedience. Adam and Eve were cursed to have to toil and experience pain all because they broke the first and only rule that God had given them. As we read Psalm 19, it talks a lot about God's law. That word can mean a lot of things. I mean, it can mean Moses' law or the Old Testament covenant or the counsels of God's word or even the fulfillment of the law, which is Christ. But just to set things straight, there are a few things I'm not talking about. I'm not referring to the Ten Commandments nor any set of laws that could um, redeem our sinful nature. There's nothing except for Christ's blood that can save us. I think even in the Old Testament, the rules didn't save God's people. Hebrews says it was their belief in God that was credited to them as righteousness. At the same time, we can see from the book of James that the law is still important when he talks about looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continuing in it. Now, what I am talking about is a way of living with God that includes having to follow his rules. Parents have to set innumerable rules for their children, such as don't run with the scissors or don't talk to strangers or the infamous clean your room. But every parent will admit that while there's been times that they made a decision that was meant to be for the good of their children, it wasn't the right decision to make. Humans just can't have correct judgment every time. But that's what makes God's laws so unique. These rules are the only set in which every single one is completely for our benefit and the benefit of God's kingdom. But haven't you noticed in a lot of media, whether religious or secular, there are stories about this very idea of obedience being right and good? They also support that disobedience yields painful consequences. There are people who try to deny that such a thing exists, but I think C.S. Lewis puts the argument very well in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, these then are the two points that I've wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not in fact behave in that way. They know the law of nature and they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. So consider little Red Riding Hood. Her parents tell her not to talk to any strangers and not to stray from the path. But of course, what does she do? She strays and she talks and before you know it, her grandmother's been eaten by a wolf and she's pretty close to being on the menu herself. So, Next, there's Pandora's box. I mean, that's a perfect example. 
the girl is given all these lovely attributes from the gods, plus a little extra gift, a box that she's not allowed to open. It distracts and tempts her to the point of madness at which she tears open the lid and releases all the evil into the world. A pretty big consequence for opening a box. A pretty big consequence for eating an apple, too. I can mention many others, though. Finding Nemo, The Lion King, Pinocchio. But sometimes we as Christians think that we have it harder than others, with so many more rules and regulations than non-Christians. But that is a deception on our part. Those kinds of thoughts plant self, false self-pity in our hearts. From all these examples, even though they exist in the secular world, the morals are in fact agreed upon, and not one of them is void of God's rules for our own lives. For example, God's command through Paul for children to obey their parents in Colossians 3.20 is a main theme in all of these tales. Even the secular world has admitted that rules are important and help keep us safe, even if they don't fully admit that this concept originates with God. Also notice in Lion King and Pinocchio that the fathers go after their sons at a great cost to themselves. Sound familiar? It's just so many parallels drawn there. So when we feel that this lifestyle is unfair, we need to remind ourselves of something. Every single one of us is being held accountable to the same rules. And for those of us that follow those rules, we get to experience the freedom from God that comes from the very law that we think is restricting us. In reality, our lives are filled with so much more joy and peace as Christians. I find it a little bit interesting that David, the writer of the psalm, and many others, worships God for his law so completely, even when it is God's law that condemns his son, the son conceived by Bathsheba, to death. Let's look more specifically at what David said about God's law. It is referred to as his law, his statutes, his precepts, his commands, fear of him, and his decrees. The descriptions that his law is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, and firm. This kind of poetry is like a crystal, which you turn the sun, and from every angle it sparkles. I was thinking about why the first and second halves of Psalm 19 maybe seem so disconnected. And then it struck me that maybe they're both supposed to be in that genre or idea of things, of wonderful things, that are created by God. David loved God's law, and he could see its true identity. He could see its beauty and was able to earnestly treasure its guidance. But also, God being the perfect justice that he is, also disciplines us. He will not be two-faced or flippant about his own laws. He is the source and center of the absolute right that exists because he exists. In his commentary on this passage, Matthew Henry states, The statutes of the Lord, enacted by his authority and binding on all wherever they come, are right, exactly agreeing with the eternal rules and principles of good and evil, that is, with the right reason of man and the right counsels of God. Now, it's saying that God's laws are completely in line with God and his absolute goodness. In another place, he says, The psalmist gives an account of the excellent properties and uses of the word of God in six sentences, in each of which the name Jehovah is repeated, and no vain repetition. The law has its authority and all of its excellency from the lawmaker. The sentence is saying exactly what I'm talking about. The law has been created as something perfect because of its perfect creator. Because of this, we must be disciplined for our wrongs. Because both the law and its creator cannot and will not deviate from complete holiness to let us off the hook. In Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, it says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? 
It says, My Lord, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the, Lord's, the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The mere fact that he is willing to take the time and show us our wrongs and punish us for them is absolute proof that he loves us as his own, as his children. So we can see why God gives the law and even why he punishes us for disobedience. But still, why do we obey? Well, first of all, because we are his creations. Scripture declares in Isaiah 64, 8, And yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Because God created us, he knows every single part, every impulse of our human lives. He made us so that we work in a certain way that requires the right fuel. Have you ever bought something where you think it's going to be so great and you're so ready to open it up and try it out right when you get home? I mean, you drive all the way out to Buffalo and you find this great toy for your kid or honestly even for yourself. And until you discover the tiny little black writing in the corner that says batteries not included. And of course, it needs D batteries and you haven't needed to keep those in the house for like five years. And the old double A's just aren't going to cut it. So... But we're exactly the same way. I had kind of the, quite the experience on 30-hour famine just a few weeks ago. Um, I was only able to run normally without food, you know, for about four or five hours before I started to really feel the effects. Um, as we neared 12 o'clock on the second day, I basically shut down. I was zoning out every five minutes, and I felt like I could barely move. The fatigue was overwhelming, and it came on before I'd even lasted a full 24 hours. It's a really clear picture of how we can't function without the fuel that we are meant to be running on. God also made us with a specific fuel for our spirits in mind, his law. His law is what we run on best, and he knows it because he created us. And thirdly, we obey because we love God. But it goes beyond that. There's something that we have to admit. The fact that we can't even pretend to love him if we aren't even trying to obey his laws. Obedience is hard, and it's only the strong motivation of love that can enable us to be humbled to this point. When with our parents or grandparents or even special mentors, we want to do the best we can to make them proud. We want to show our love through obedience because of the respect we have for them. Every week I go to take violin lessons with my teacher, who recently moved into Fillmore. She is one of the kindest, most considerate, and most committed women I know. And I care for her a lot. And every week I stand there with my violin at the ready, waiting for her to correct the next thing, because I know that she's only doing it for the good of my future as a violin player. But how much more is it this way with God? His correction in us through his law is only going to help us. Psalm 19 describes the benefits of God's law in us, and that there his law refreshes the soul, makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart, gives light to the eyes, endures forever, and all of them are righteous. They're also described to be sweeter than honey. Imagine that the thing we once thought was so bitter is now revealed as one of the epitaphs of sweetness. Another way to look at it is to see the rules as a favor. If we had no idea what we were doing wrong, how could we ever even want to take hold of the grace that God has extended to us through his son? What a merciful God that we serve that he provides both the knowledge and the means to be saved. But to be honest, we still manage to fall short. And sometimes it feels good to break the rules, to be rebellious or to have fun. 
Even scripture says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but it's not really what we think it is. Too many times I've gone for that and come up just completely dry. It's like I build up the adrenaline, I get going, I'm ready to feel so filled, and nothing. I usually just feel worse than when I started and far more empty than I had before. There's a quote by Matthew Henry that says, The pleasures of sense are deceitful, will soon surfeit, and yet never satisfy. But those of religion are substantial and satisfying, and there's no danger in exceeding in them. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, God wants to offer us joy that we aren't even able to overdose on. Pleasure that we will never, ever have to feel guilty about indulging in. And he is offering this through his law. It just becomes clear how much the rules are actually for our own benefit. So, as we grow, we can get better at obedience as well. Something in our home the other day gave me a little picture of how things are with God. My mom, brother, and I were getting ready to take a walk. And I checked outside to see what the weather was like. And it seemed sunny and sort of warm. So, I was absolutely sure I did not need my coat. <laughs> but, of course, my mom had a different idea. So, we, I started... You know, she starts telling me how it's cold and I'm going to regret it and I'm going to start arguing. And then I stop and I trail off and think about what I'm about to say and kind of realize that I shouldn't argue. And so a few seconds later, having realized what I just accomplished and now with my coat, I walk back into the kitchen where my mom is and say with a sly smile, see how much more mature I've gotten? I didn't even argue that time. So, as we take steps to becoming more mature in our spiritual lives, we come to realize that God is going to be right, so we obey his directions without the resistance. It saves a lot of time and comes to the right result with far less tears and complications. However, there is one last oh-so-important fact about obeying God's laws, something that opens up a whole new level of intimacy with the Lord. Oftentimes, we as Christians call our life with God a walk, or you've heard the term, you know, walking with God, journeying with God, something along those lines. But did you consider how obedience fits into that? Our Holy Father in Heaven is walking a very specific path, and only when we follow God's laws are we enabled to walk on that path with Him. So you see, we literally have to be walking on the same path to be walking together or walking with God. As for the depth of the intimacy between ourselves and God, I found it helpful to think of it this way. Um, Imagine two pairs of friends. In the first pair, one friend is always helping the other out of the ditch he just keeps falling into. In the other pair, the two friends take long walks together, not because the one needs saving from dire situations very often, but because they enjoy each other's company, and they are able to communicate with each other and deepen their friendship. Far too often, we and God are the first pair. God readily wants to help us out of the ditch, and he will, But the relationship is still built only on a need to be saved from the consequences of our disobedience. We just won't follow his laws and it gets us into trouble. We aren't walking the same path. We aren't near him often enough to even carry small talk with the Lord. We linger on thankfulness rather than being driven by love. So we never get past the first layer of the relationship. However, on the other hand, there is the relationship built on our submission to the law and the wonderful fruits that are produced. Since we are living in a way that is in accordance with the Lord, we can walk alongside him. We are opening for listening to what God has to say to us, for us to open up our hearts in any way to him. We actually have the time to weep and to laugh and to confide and eventually get all the way down to the core. 
So now, what do you choose? Do you want the guilt and the negative consequences of a life that is void of God's beautiful law? Or do you want to experience the joy and the peace and the intimacy with God that comes from obeying? To taste and see the laws that are sweeter than honey and that bring light to the eyes. If there's one thing to be said, it's that binding oneself to God's law while actually being the most freeing thing that we can ever, ever experience.